0: Well, welcome, and thank you for having me today. I'm excited to be here with you, and I wouldn't rather be anywhere else. Um, <laughs> that's my brother Ken. he's always inspired me. Um, yeah, I just uh just so blessed, so blessed. This week has just been beautiful.'m um, thankful to have uh, my beautiful wife and my son here with me today, and so yeah, um, so very thankful for that. Um, yeah, so this is a day that the Lord has made, and I know everybody's probably mad because you had to turn your clocks up an hour, so so uh, it's probably not the best day to preach on Laodicea, but, uh, but um, I know that God has something great for us today, and so I'm really excited for that. So... Um, so, Lord, I just pray that uh, you, would, uh, you would just speak to us today. Lord, let your presence just permeate throughout this building. Uh, may we shine light on your word so that it may edify. Uh, Lord, if uh, some of us happen to not be where uh, you want us to be, Lord, uh, will you just help us to respond? And, Lord, we just pray again that you would just, that you would just be in here with us, Lord, and uh, may you draw us closer to you, and we thank you for that. So, um, yeah, I got a little poetry for you today. Um, Who likes poetry? Everybody like Oh, there's a few like poetry. Not everybody likes poetry. You like it in the form of music? That's the way I like it, too. That's the way I like it, too. It goes like this. uh, Growling like a panda, screaming from this podium. I give it to them black and white, and it causes pandemonium. That salt and pepper shakers when they're hating in their odium, my saw ain't lost its savor, I administer the sodium. They tried to divide us, but we ain't budging, we fight us. We done read the book of John, and that's how Johnny unite us. Ain't talking about Baltimore Colts, but the ones who live off of hope. Cause we about to cause a ruckus, cause of what we invoke. I tell them that rendezvous my name is. And I came to do it big, but I'm here to make him famous. I'm living for my God, and you know I do it shameless. Amen, and no hate man. I love y'all, Portland to the Caymans, and I never wanna be the one to pace it. I'm running rapid on this pavement while your boy be rocking ASICs, no laces. And I'm living and loving and ever longing for the scripts. And when it's in it, I'ma get it. And you know I got a witness to women and men and children. And it's never really ended till I'm finished with the mission, no quitting. I'm fearfully, wonderfully made praising the one who creates, bringing my brothers and sisters together in every country, including United States. Let's go. I'm the one that's gonna do it for the streets, for the north, south, west, and the east. If they thinking we gonna dumb it down, then they the type to fool around and run into a beast. And the only thing I want to give is peace. We love them people living in the Middle East, and the devil's illegitimate. Isn't it feeling different when a schism hinders him from killing us? Here we go. So that wasn't too bad. I mean Coulda added some music to it. I guess I could have sang something country. <laughs> With a shovel and a bucket, taking on a raging tide. I said up now nah, we won't do it. <laughs> but uh anyways, um but yeah, I was just thinking about that song uh that uh that you know that what I put together and um uh, it kind of just inspired me. It got me thinking about the church and how we should look. And that, and that one part stuck out to me where it says, um, um, that salt and pepper shakers, when they're hating in their odium, my salt hasn't lost its savor. I administer the sodium. And that verse, that verse came to me in Matthew 5, 14, 16. It says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled under the foot of men. You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And now as I was reading through Laodicea and I began to see that church and all the things that they were going through, I said, man, those people just weren't adding up with that verse. They weren't matching up with it. And then I began to think about our church and what our church looks like. And I'm talking about on a whole like the United States, Ohio. I guess we can break it down to Mechanicsburg. But I saw a great representation in that in two people that I, that I know. I saw these, these two people and both of them, they claim Christianity, they claim faith. And I went over the one person's house and I'd gone over their house several times, but every single time I went over their house, they would say, what do you want to eat? They wanted to feed me. So they'd take me to the refrigerator and they say, I got this, I got that, I got Hawaiian punch, I got snacks for you. I got all this good food, I got chicken, I can make you a salad, what do you want? And they're they always trying to feed me, and I'm like, I'm all right, are you sure? I got some little Debbies in there. You want an oatmeal cream pie? Always trying to feed me. Had a, had a mindset of abundance. Always thinking of the other person. That's where that person's heart was. Always thinking of me. And then the other person, I went over their house and I was hungry. I sat down on the couch and I started watching some boring TV, some reruns. I even thought I'd call it an episode of Hannah Montana. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> so I started, started getting hungry. So I went into the kitchen, I saw this bag of Doritos Say, hey, can I have some Doritos? Yeah, you can have some. So I start eating those Doritos, and I was so hungry that I end up eating a few more than I should have. And that person, they said, did you eat up all my Doritos? <laughs> I said, yeah, I'm sorry. I got, I got a little focused. Hannah Montana just won a, won a competition, and <laughs> I just kept eating. I kept snacking. And the person was literally mad. They were so mad. And I think the the reason is because that person, they were thinking, they weren't thinking with a mindset of abundance. They were thinking with a mindset of scarcity, that there's not enough to go around. But the person who is focused on the Holy Spirit said there's enough to go around. There's abundance. I can think on people on the outside. And I'm not going to run out. There's there's not only a few slices to the pie. There's several slices to the pie. The Lord can make another pie. He can give us more. So so one person was thinking on on themselves, and the other person was thinking on the outside. Who do you think people want to hang out with? the person of abundance or the person of scarcity. So when I think of the church and I think of it as a light on the hill, it's supposed to draw people to it like a bug. I think of abundance. I think of abundance. Churches that are focused on scarcity are focused on themselves. They're usually afraid of... Um, Losing culture, and um, it's, kind of like, it's kind of like a, a vain hospital. Uh, you know, if, uh, Jesus said, he said, I come not to, 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 to heal the, the healthy, but I came to heal the sick. I kind of see it as, you know, you got one doctor at the top, a few uh, uh, <laughs> nurses, and the doctor heals the nurses, and then the nurses operate on the nurses, and they start healing each other. And then outside on the ground, there's a, there's a lot of uh, hurting and dying people that are nicked up and bruised up. And that's what I kind of see from a, a perspective of a church that would be, um, and I don't think that's our church. I don't think that's our church at all. That's the kind of, uh, that's what I would see from a church um, that is um, thinking from a scarcity mindset. They're focused on, on them and preserving. And the church of abundance is thinking on, um, on discipleship and reaching out to people. There's a lot of beautiful things that's happening in this church. And I know we have to think about our legacy because I kind of wonder what we all look like 90 years from now. It probably won't look pretty. But we have young people that are coming up and they're taking over and they'll be looking at us and seeing what the next moves are. And it's just, a, it's just a part of the process. As we get older, you know, we hike our pants up a little higher. We put tennis balls on our walkers. Watch more Dr. Phil. It's part of the process. It's coming. It's coming. But we have young ones They left the room, and we're ready to move them on. Ready to move them on. And so... <clears throat> I just think of all the beautiful things. I know uh, Stu has his prison ministry, and I know um, um, it's just been beautiful to see him reach out to people in the prison ministry, uh, to see Rob Irwin, to uh, work with addicts and people who are in need. Got my girl, Lindsay Kirker, working with the women's ministry. You got your Lisa Wears. You know, you got your uh, Jordan and Randy Millers. I mean, that room was packed last night. It was packed last night full of people who are pouring into this church and seeing the church move forward, it's not a church that is vain and that is useless. It's a church that is doing things and impacting the kingdom. So I'm thankful for that. It's not what I see in the church of Laodicea. Laodicea is one of the seven churches of Asia Minor addressed by Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation. Revelation. It was located in the Lycus Valley, If we got our map there, and it was uh, 10 miles east of Colossae and 13 miles south of Hierapolis. These three cities formed a triangle in the so-called Tri-City area. Now some important features that played tremendous roles in this city, first of all, crucial to any city, and Laodicea in particular, was its water supply. The population grew because it was a hub, and it got larger and larger till the local streams were no longer able to supply the necessary water. So Laodicea built an amazing aqueduct system. They built it underground so that enemies wouldn't have access to it. One historian says that they could not use the Lycus or the Meander River because they were too dirty. Besides, the Lycus River often dried up during the dry season. One of, the, one of the springs in the area were hot springs, and they were full of gases and other chemicals. And by the way, Heropolis was a place of hot springs. That it still is today. People went there for healing properties of the hot springs. The water supply was too far from Laodicea. They had to pipe in water from a distant spring through twin lines of stone pipe. Each stone is about three feet across and hollowed through the middle. The pipes are still visible today. The water carried by these pipes were so charged with impurities that thick deposits of calcium can still be seen almost choking the surviving section of those pipes today. Some archaeologists have suggested that the pipes came from five miles away. So they had to ship in their water because uh, they didn't have an adequate source. I know Colossi. I think they had that mountain runoff. I think we'll get to that in a second. Another thing uh, was that they dom- that dominated the city was the great commercial enterprise of banking. The city was very wealthy. It was so wealthy that after earthquake of sixty A.D. which leveled most of the city and some of the others in the area, the people of Laodicea to- Laodicea prided themselves on rejecting an offer of financial help from Rome. That was because they had enough money of their own to completely rebuild a beautiful city without any help. Tacitus, the Roman historian, wrote, Laodicea arose from the ruins by the strength of their own resources with no help from us. So it was a very wealthy city, and it prided itself in self-sufficiency. They didn't need help from anyone. Um, black textiles. Um, Another thing Laodicea was famous for um, was the wool industry. The major product being a soft wool that had a glossy and black, and that was black in color. It was used for carpets and it was used for clothing, both locally and exported. They had a much respected medical school. The medical school was established in connection with an ancient god of healing. This is the one that we have a hard time saying. Um, (laughs) uh, Ascopolis. that's the best we can do right now. (laughs) We see him in Corinth um, and as well as a few other places. Um, They had a lot of respected medical teachers. um, And they developed a famous, highly valued salve to be used for ailments. So there was an, an an essence, excuse me, of commercial Laodicea. So they had banking, they had textiles, and they had ISAF. And they also had this this aqueduct that that brought in water. So this allowed for them to have a thriving city. Um, So uh, we'll just get into the word uh, starting in Revelation uh, 3, 14 through 22. Um, This is where we see where um, Jesus writes about the city of Laodicea. Laodicea, 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 Caramel, Caramel. To the angel of the church of Laodicea, right, these are the words of the amen. And we've, we've kind of talked about that before in the other series. That's Jesus, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one of the other. So because, of you are, because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich, and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness, and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. So there are a lot of things that stand out in this passage about Laodicea. They were rich on the outside, but God saw them as poor, blind, and naked, even on the inside. And even more so, one thing stands out more than all is the fact that Leo, the church of Laodicea made God so sick he wanted to spew them out of his mouth. The word spew, as used, spit here, means to vomit or forcefully expel. God was done with them because Laodicea had left him on the outside. Behold, He stood at the door and he knocked. Laodicea was vain and purposeless. The meaning for lukewarm. They're rich in wealth but poor in spirit. Secure in eye medicine but spiritually blind. They dressed in black textiles. But the Lord saw them as naked. So the big question is, What should a church do when God is ready to spew? What should a church do when God is ready to spew? You may have does up there, but what should a church do when God is ready to spew? Now we can rest assured that our church is not in that condition. The condition of Laodicea. We don't believe that God is ready to spew us out of his mouth. But let us stay open to what the Spirit has to say. And let's see if he has anything for us today. Maybe we can come to the conclusion of what should the church do <laughs> when God is ready to spew by visiting some of the realities involving Laodicea. Well, something that we know about Laodicea is that they had the aqueduct system that traveled for miles away as a conduit for water. Ten miles away, the refreshing cold water was in Colossae as they received the benefits of snow melt runoff from the mountains. And 13 miles away, in Hierapolis, they had the hot springs that are still present today. They provided warm drinks, cleaning. Some people believed the waters had healing properties, so they would go to the hot springs for healing. Laodicea had water piped in from from a nearby spring, but it was so far from any water source, that by the time the water got to them, it was lukewarm." Now this is usually when people start preaching that Jesus wants you to be hot or cold, and you need to make a choice because the worst condition would be lukewarm. But we must understand that Jesus was actually talking to a church. He was talking to church people. so. When he says, I'd rather you be hot or cold, he wasn't telling them, hey, you know, I'd rather you just go out and sin and do it right, <laughs> or, 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 or just be on fire for God. No, no, he was, what he was telling them was that you are not refreshing like the water in Colossae. You don't have that cold refreshness, and you are not hot. You do not have the healing properties of the hot springs and Hierapolis, so therefore, you are useless. There's no use for you. When you come out of the spout, I can't do anything with you. You don't refresh me and you don't heal me. A lack of fruit. There's no works coming out of that. There's no fruit. And we'll see why. See, he says, he's saying this, you've lost your usefulness. And see, Jesus, what he does is he shines shines his light on this problem that they're having in the natural. So he can point out a problem that they're having in the spiritual. On the outside, it looks like you have everything going on, he tells them. But on the inside, you're a train wreck. We see this several times in Scripture where Christ did not desire a relationship with people who fully engaged with vain endeavors. Laodicea was a vain people and he was getting tired of it. He was still reaching out. But there's a, there's a point where you just go in that reprobate mind and God can't speak to you anymore. He's like, man... There's there's one who has ears, let him hear. In John 15, 1 through 6, it says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes so that it will even produce more fruit. That's the Word of God. It prunes us If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into fire, and burned. Jesus is saying in that verse that what are these branches good for? These branches aren't good for anything. It, it, it's, it, it's, uh, it's, it's vain. It's almost like a, a seed, an apple seed. If we went to storm, store and we got a bunch of apple seeds and we put them in the ground, and they never grew apples. Say, what are those good for? Those aren't good for anything. The church of Laodicea had become purposeless, useless, and vain. The word vain means this. Having or showing excessive high opinion of one's appearance, (laughs) abilities or worth, conceited, narcissistic, in love with oneself, that was them. They said, man, we don't, we don't need anything. We don't even need any money from Rome. We can build back our own city after this earthquake. So it means two things. So it means that, high opinion of oneself. And then the other meaning is producing no result and useless. So the word vain is kind of a mixture of both. One thing I, I realized doing music is that I could, I could not become successful all by myself. You need people. People are the ones who buy your music. People are the ones you collaborate with. If there's no one buying your music, if there's no one to collaborate with, what can you do? So that's on a micro level, but on a macro level, churches can do the same thing. Laodicea became that way. They became prideful. Nobody likes a prideful person. Walking around, you know, that that person kind of pushes people away and they become all by themselves. So it's it's having a high opinion of oneself, loving oneself, and, and a useless result. Can't move forward. If I was to talk to churches today and I was to tell them how to apply that, I would tell them to not focus on themselves so much. I believe we have these, these polarizing beliefs and I've seen it happen in many churches where you have some churches that are they're so focused on righteousness and holiness and, and, and truth that they become so legalistic and so mean and so judgmental that they can't win anyone. <laughs> and then there's other churches that their main focus becomes on liberty. Grace and liberty, liberty and grace. Liberty and grace, you kind of need both of them. You need both of them. It's the polarization that ends up hurting people. If we think about it, if it's if it's always just think about it if it's if it's always if it's always only about holiness and righteousness and truth and getting it right and justice we would have such a heavy fist when it came to people every single time there'd be no freedom there and if it was only about liberty our liberty our grace and our assurance Am I, am I going to make it to heaven? Am I going to make it to heaven? And, and trust me, on my, on my best behavior, I've thought of that at times. On my best behavior, we need that. No, don't get me wrong. We need that. But if, it's, if it always becomes about that, assurance that I'm going to make it to heaven, my liberties, I can do whatever I want to do, and, and just please forgive me all the time, we can actually end up hurting people. Because sometimes those liberties that we have, sometimes the things that we do wrong, they end up hurting people. And when that becomes our focus, we're only thinking of ourselves with what we can get away with. So we must have a balance of the other side as well when it comes to righteousness and holiness and doing right to people. I believe that this church wasn't focused on either. I believe it let other things come in. Um, uh, Paul mentioned them in the, in the letter to Colossi, and what Colossae had done was they had begun to worship other gods. Jesus was just a part of the equation. He wasn't, he, wasn't, he wasn't the only thing. And he wrote a letter to them. He said, I want you to share this letter in your church, and I want you to share this letter in your church, because he was saying, hey, you guys are dealing with the same thing. And so these people became blind. They had a hard time viewing themselves spiritually. In general, human beings have a hard time seeing themselves. We kind of talked about this last time. Um, in my last sermon, we talked about human beings um, and their inability to see their conditions. And, and how, many times, uh, how many times did we blink in a day? The average person blinks uh, 15 to 20 times a minute. That's 1,200 times per hour and 28,000 times a day. And rarely do we ever think about it. Blink, 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 blink. I think the crazy part is it's blinking over the very part that we see from. And we we still don't pay attention to it at all. A man can go days and weeks or even months, I don't know, years without being aware of batting his eyes. Um, if you use an average of 80 beats per minute, your heart beats about 4,800 times per hour. That's a whopping 115,200 times per day. Over the course of a year, your heart would beat about 42 million times. And if you lived to 80 years old, your heart would, be beat, your heart would have beaten over 3 billion times. And rarely do we think about it. So it's very hard for us to do that. Human beings actually do a better job of seeing uh, the flaws, mishaps, and, and even the strengths in other people because we always see from an outward perspective. We never see from our perspective. The last time I told you guys about uh, me spending the night at Joey's house and uh, uh, waking up with a slobber stain in the morning um, it's, it's pretty embarrassing. I had talked to a lot of people and... Um, and woke up with that slobber stain, and uh, there it was, crusted on my face. And uh, I was, I'll just say I was pretty embarrassed. I was pretty embarrassed. Um, for people to be able to see their spiritual condition, they need something else. And what I'm so thankful about this church is that we have that something else. And that's the Holy Spirit. Amen. We can see ourselves, and I know we can, because when God starts speaking, we come down here and we say, God, speak to me. God, speak to me. Show it. Show me what it is you want me to see. So we have that deeper thing that Laodicea did not have. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 10 says this, But it is written, eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither have any entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. But God has revealed them unto unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. But the natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So we got three things in that verse. The natural man cannot see it. The vision comes from the Spirit, and the vision is not for those who don't love him. And the vision is, excuse me, the vision is for those who love him. Laodicea could not see their condition. Chapter 5 tells us that the desires of the flesh or of the natural man lust against the spirit. They war against each other so you cannot do the things that you want. We're later told in Galatians 5 to walk in the spirit so we do not fulfill the desires of the flesh. So the Laodicean people... Somewhere along the line, they began to rely on their flesh, sin more than they walked, sin more than they walked with the Holy Spirit. And because the spiritual vision is discerned not by the flesh but by the Holy Spirit, the people's vision began to grow dull, and they became blind. We read that the spiritual vision comes to those who love Jesus Christ. One of the reasons they became blind because they had lost their love for Christ and His commandments. We read in John 14, 15, Jesus saying, If you love me, keep my commandments. These people had fallen out of love with Jesus and his teachings. They had found another path that pleased their flesh through sin, but it left them blind and unable to see the things of God, including the state of their spiritual condition. We see this with Solomon. Solomon asked for any gift. He, was, he, was, he said, What gift do you want? That's what God asked him. And he said, "He said, I want wisdom. So what, it, so what did Solomon do with his wisdom? He took his wisdom and he used it throughout his life. We see it in Proverbs. We just read it over and over again. But somewhere along the line, Solomon said, hey, I'm going to start tinkering with things a little bit. And you start reading in the book of Ecclesiastes, he starts saying, hey, I did all of these sins while God was still with me. I did all of these things. I tried all of these things. And before you knew it, he slowly began to shift. He slowly began to shift. And just like the church in Laodicea, he picked up on some new gods. When he died, he had had over a a thousand women, and he picked up on their gods. And so he shifted away from the God that he once loved. So, if the Holy Spirit is supplying vision to a man, it makes me wonder if he has a responsibility to use it or to turn away. James tells us to be doers of the word and not hearers only. In that verse, he talks about the man in the mirror. That man in the mirror is just like me. He said, you see yourself, you see the condition that you're in. He said, you walk away and then you forget. And that's what happened with the church of Laodicea. It it was a continuous happening. It didn't happen overnight. It was a continuous happening. The Laodiceans were rich, wealthy in need of nothing. In many ways, they were like America, a high GDP output. Anybody can get a meal anytime they wanted it, for the most part. These people didn't have to pray down manna from heaven That's why in 60 AD they had uh, rejected Rome's help after the earthquake. They said, no, we can build our own city. But I can tell you today it's not really based off of how much money one makes. If their heart is right with God, it all depends on their heart. The matter here is they were poor in spirit. So, Jesus said, "It was easier, it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus also said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit are beggars. That means, the poor in spirit are beggars. That means they stay on their knees and they yearn for the things of God. The rich in spirit are those, who have so much invested in worldly things they don't have a desire for the things of God. So uh, there's this CEO named Donnie Smith, and he works for Tyson Foods. Um, Donnie was so blessed uh, while he worked there, and his value became so high that when he left, his severance package was 24 million, and they signed him to a three-year deal to be a consultant. For $5,800 an hour. He just retired in 2016, so he's still working. $5,800 an hour. I was watching a speech he did when I was in a marketing meeting. And one of the things he said was, he said, Every morning when I showed up to work, he said, I met with about 10 or 15 guys every morning and we prayed for about 45 minutes. He said, Every two, to three hours, he said, I was reading something spiritual or listening to something spiritual. And he even brought a woman through the process of salvation while he was on the job. Now that's a man who was rich on the outside and the inside. That man had it. So it's really not about whether we're rich in our pockets that God despises us. It's all about this right here. We see that with the rich young ruler. He said, hey, I follow all the rules. I've done all these things. My whole youth growing up. But Jesus looked at his heart and he said, hey, this man, his heart isn't committed. He told him to go and sell everything he had and give it to the poor. And the man walked away disappointed. So it's really not, it's really not it's really not if we're rich or we're poor. It's really if we are poor in spirit in a way that we are in relationship with God and we're yearning, we're seeking. We see, when we see someone on the side of the street who is, is poor, that person is yearning and they're asking for help. In the same way, God is asking for us to call upon him. <laughs> So, what should a church do when God is ready to spew? Laodicea was poor, blind, and naked, had black textiles, beautiful clothing, but they had no shame in their nakedness. They were rich. Spiritually, their pockets were empty. So what is a church to do when God is ready to spew? Is repent. God calls us to repent. He calls us to repentance because it's better for us. A lot of times, we have pressure built up in our lives. We have things that, that creep in, and we take them the distance with us, and the pressure begins to build up. And it becomes so much that we can't take it. But outwardly, we smile. They did an experiment with two girls, and they had them watch the same video. And they wanted to see what the other girl, what her heart rate would be if the girl who watched the same video would act differently to the information that she just saw. And this video, this video was bad. It was abusive. And the girl's heart rate, after they watched the video, they said, what did you think about this video? One girl said, oh, I thought it was terrible. That was awful. That was awful what happened to those people. And the other girl she said, uh, it really wasn't that bad. I mean, she kind of acted different to it, Like, it wasn't really that bad. And this other girl was her friend. and She began to get antsy and mad. Like, are you serious? Did you just see what happened? That was terrible what happened to those people. Her heart rate began to increase. And she began to distance herself away from this other girl. The problem is, is, They had the other girl hooked up too, and her heart rate began to increase too. Because what she was saying on the outside wasn't congruent with how she really felt on the inside. But that's how it is a lot of times. We walk into work, we walk into home, we walk into the church, and God has been speaking to our inside, and he's saying, hey, that thing is wrong, but you're walking around here with a smile on your face. And that heart rate is increasing and that pressure is building up. And God's saying, aren't you going to take care of that elephant in the room? There's not enough room for that elephant. That elephant meaning that there's a big problem and we all know there is, but nobody's addressing it. Could you imagine what this room would look like if there was a hundred elephants in here? Walking around. There wouldn't be enough room for us. God is saying, I want to relieve that pressure. I want to relieve that pressure off of your heart. I don't want you walking around with that. Some people can walk around with an elephant for years. It gets in the bed with them. They wake up with it. It makes coffee with them in the morning. It gets in the car with them. It follows them to work. It sits there at the computer and it presses on the buttons. It sits on the chair. It breaks the chair. It gets back in the car with them. It drives home. It sits there and it watches TV with them. And God said, I want you to get rid of that thing. There's not enough room for it. And Satan, he just wants you to hold on to it. But you got to tell Satan, Satan, my elephants aren't irrelevant. I got to get rid of it. I got to let it go. There's too much pressure in here. He said, relieve it. You got to get that off of your chest. And he said, I'm not reproving you or rebuking you because I'm mad at you. He said, it's just because I love you. It's because I love you. He said, you've been carrying this thing with you, this unforgiveness. You've been carrying this bad attitude with you this whole time. And he said, I just want, I want beautiful things. He said, you don't even know the things I can give to you once you relieve that. He said, you will be in chains to the elephant. And the amazing thing about elephants are, all you got to do is address them and they'll leave the room. Say, I see you, buddy. You got to tell Satan, my elephants are leaving the room. I'm telling you, he'll peek his trunk back around the corner, but you say, I see you. You head right back out. The other thing that we have to do is we have to engage with the Holy Spirit. We have to engage with the Holy Spirit. I, 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 would, I would tell people, he says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any may hear my voice and open it up, I will come into him, and I will dine with him, and he will dine with me. What, what, what can happen, what can happen in, in our relationship with God is that sometimes we expect his promises to come to us, but then we get amnesia really fast when it, when it comes to our promises coming back to him. So he said, he said, I will dine with you, but you will also dine with me. And the other verses said it, said, it says, as I remain in you, you should remain in me. In James, I believe it's in chapter four, he says, he says draw nigh to me and I will draw nigh to you. He's always reaching out to us. He's always drawing. He's always remaining. But sometimes we can walk away. And that's how, it was. that's how it was in Laodicea. That's how it can be in our churches today. People can kind of separate themselves from God, but God is still reaching out. He's still calling. He still loves us. Even when we do, we go through those dry spells. The other thing is he wants us to do is he wants us to act. When he says, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. He's saying, I not only want you to detect the sound that I'm saying to you, I want you to listen to me. And, and, and back in the old day, like we see in, uh, in the Old Testament, when someone was crying out and they said, Hear, O Lord, they're wanting the Lord to act on their behalf. They didn't just want Him to detect the sound. They said, hear, O Lord, hear my prayer, hear my call. I want you to act on my behalf. I want you to do something. And a lot of times, God, when he's saying, hear, I want you to hear, he said, I want you to move. I just don't only want you to detect the sound. He said, I want you to do something about it. So that's what a church should do when the Lord is getting ready to spew. They should repent, they should engage with the Holy Spirit, and they should act. So dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you. We thank you for who you are. Lord, if there's anyone in here tonight or this morning that has something on their heart, something that they're dealing with, Lord, something that they've held on to for years, if it's unforgiveness, Lord, I pray that uh, that that will be relieved today. Lord, if it's, if it's, if, it's a, if it's a quick temper, Lord, I pray that that will be relieved today. Lord, you look at your church and you want it to be a city on a hill. One that cannot be hidden. One that men could see and one that would be drawn to it, Lord. Your word says that, that, that people would know us by our fruits, you're speaking of Pharisees then, Lord, but, but people would know us by our fruits, Lord. When people reach out to us, Lord, may they not get pricked by thistles, Lord, but may they see the fruit, Lord, so they, they can taste and see it. Help us to be that church, Father. We would thank you for that. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen.